0: Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Thank you, Casey, and thank you all for joining us this morning, especially to our, uh, our veterans as we uh, remember you this, uh, this special weekend. Well, some of you may have wondered about the authority and leadership structure at North Sound Church. There are some churches where um, the congregation worries that the pastor may be autocratic and that the elders are just uh, yes men and women you know, who go along with everything he says. I can assure you that's not the case at North Sound Church. As I um, was coming into the sanctuary um, and saw a few more people than usual in our second service, I turned to John Campbell, who uh, is standing at the back, and John is our, uh, an elder and also uh, looks after us all on Sunday morning, and I suggested to him that the reason the room was full was because everybody had heard about the good-looking young pastor. <laughs> and he had the nerve to suggest, <laughs> he had the nerve to suggest it may have to do with a football game. I, what the deal is with that, John, but uh, anyway, you don't have to worry about yes people uh, serving as elders at North Sound Church. Speaking of a football game, there are some of us who haven't seen the game, and we don't know the score, so please, on the way out, don't give any indication of what happened in Munich, Germany earlier this morning, okay? With that, are we, deal? Okay. So um, we want to congratulate this weekend, the Cougs, who had a big win yesterday. And uh, yeah, and there was another team, the Huskies, that played yesterday. So so I did a master's degree at UW in the early 80s, and I can distinctly remember taking this 39-year-old to school with me in whatever those carriers were called that you put the kid in the front. You know, and uh, Sean, Sean, it was was destined for him to go to the UW because he was there when he was a few months old, and so uh, he ended up uh, going to UW Business School and graduating from uh, from there. And then uh, Ryan came along and he went to UW, and Scotty came along and went to UW, and uh, and then Barb, um, their mama, uh, worked for UW Medicine for thirty eight years, so. You you think can you guess which team we cheered for uh, yesterday? And uh, our son Ryan uh, texted his mom from Bellingham to say, "Is Dad pounding the table yet?" Um, I have this habit when the Husky play when Huskies play. You know, I, I actually don't watch much football other than the Huskies and the Seahawks, but I get rather excited and I I. You know, when they score a touchdown or something, you don't want to be around me because I get a little, a little. Ex- maybe that explains my Pentecostal background. I, I don't know. Well, uh, one extra announcement I wanted to mention um, was the fact that on the same weekend as the Christmas tree lighting, we have the One Voice service um, over at the Edmund Center for the Arts, and we gather together with some of the other churches in Edmunds. And uh, we have a wonderful celebration of the Lord around Thanksgiving time. And so just wanted to mention that to you. Jim, maybe just a little bit, thank you. Um, hope, you can, uh, hope you can join us for that. And then um, wanted to mention Barb and I uh, had the privilege of going to the Timothy Initiative Conference uh, and uh, represent you all. The Timothy Initiative is with the folks with whom we're planting a 1,000 churches in, uh, in, in Northern India. And so uh, we wanted to be a part of that, get an update on how they're doing and what's going on. And uh, it's really wonderful to see the work of the Lord going on through it. The conference happened to be in Florida. Um, So I took Barb along to suffer for Jesus with me. And uh, we extended our time a few days uh, there. Um, But does anybody know what happened this week in Florida? Yeah, so so Monday and Tuesday weren't too bad. The conference ended on Sunday. Uh, Monday and Tuesday weren't too bad, but on Wednesday... Um, they began stacking the furniture and putting it indoors and all of that kind of stuff, and it was like, hmm, something's going on. And uh, so, when it hit landfall, it was Hurricane uh, Nicole. And by the time it got to us on the on the on the West Coast, uh, it was a tropical storm. So we drove to the airport on Thursday. At a time when they were suggesting people do not drive because of the storm, uh, but we needed to get home and uh, and be with you all, so we uh, we drove fearless—well, maybe not fearlessly—but we drove to the airport, and. Uh, and waited for our plane. And uh, I'm an aviation guy so I have these apps and I saw that our Alaska flight had left which was a really good sign because then we couldn't get home without that airplane. So they were on their way coming and they got there fairly close to on time. We boarded the airplane but we didn't leave and didn't leave and didn't leave. And the pilot came on, it was a 737 MAX which is now one of the safest airplanes in the sky. Uh, But unfortunately they couldn't get the right engine started so, um, so we waited until they could get a mechanic. The pilot suggested it might be a spark plug, but I th- I think that was metaphorical. Um, and so we waited, and they finally got the engine started. Now we're late, and uh, and got the engine started, and um, and the pilot says, "Folks, we're going to leave quick now because I don't want to turn the engine off." <laughs> <laughs> this was before our what. 4000 mile trip to back to Seattle hoping that the engine would you know would would keep turning and uh, fortunately here we are uh and it did. Uh one other um thing I want to share with you this morning before the message. By the way, this doesn't count as my message time for any of you that are timing me. Um, Gail uh, McDonald has been, a, Gail and, and Craig have been integral parts of our fellowship here for about 15 years. Gail, you would know, most of you would know from Club Grub, she has been a regular, both when we were in the little white church and here in this church, preparing um, food for us Sunday by Sunday. Her husband, Craig, is a public defender and attorney, and uh, Gail did the administrative work for him because he has impaired vision. Um, he has uh, sung on our worship team uh, and in mosaic choir. Some of you may uh, begin to recall the, the family now. Last Saturday, um, she had she, got, she had gotten COVID and wasn't aware of it, uh, and she had a respiratory arrest where she wasn't breathing, and then on top of that, she had a cardiac arrest. And uh, so the family and then the medics um, uh, did CPR, but unfortunately this week she's had further testing and scanning done, uh, and it doesn't look good. It's uh, they they gave uh, Craig I think about a one percent chance of her. Uh, coming out of this uh, situation that she's in. And so this is pretty this is pretty tough for a North Sound family, and so I want to encourage you to pray for Craig and for Gail and for their daughter uh, Jamie. As long as she's with us, we pray for healing. We also pray for comfort for all of them in the midst of this storm that uh, that they are going through. So we're continuing today and next Sunday to finish up the series we have been in on the kingdom of God and our life together. Today uh, we're going to talk about the kingdom, as our theme has been our life together. And when our church began and there were relatively few people, um, we put together some value statements that have continued on throughout the life of the church and. The one that we have today is the one that is very important to us, I think very central to who we are as a church, uh, and this is the value of the kingdom of God and our life together. So this is what we said. We see the church as an agent of the kingdom of God. We see the church as an agent of the kingdom of God, and there are a whole bunch of verses attached to that. And then we give a description of what that means. We distinguish between the local church and the kingdom of God. The proclamation of the kingdom or reign of God was the essential proclamation of Jesus. We engage in the lifelong process of bringing our own lives more fully under the reign, under his reign. We do not set out to build our own kingdom, but to serve the work of God's kingdom in how we handle our resources, our partnerships in ministry, and our affirmation of others who are serving the kingdom who may work in ways different than our own. Some of us are sort of visual people, and if you can imagine, what we're gonna be talking about today is the fact that Christ's message was about the kingdom of God, which is coming under the rule and reign of God. And then underneath that, is the local church, is us as North Sound Church, and indeed the church universal, which is an agent of the kingdom. The kingdom is here, the church is here, the church is an agent of the kingdom in the world, and we as individuals are also agents of God's kingdom in the world. So we're gonna spend some time together unpacking what this kingdom thing is all about this morning. First of all, we want to talk about rumors of another world. I read a story some years ago in Time magazine about the God gene. The article was based on a book by Dean Hammer in which Hammer thinks he may have discovered a gene which is responsible for spirituality. He says, I think we follow the basic law of nature, which is that we are a bunch of chemical reactions running around in a bag. Encouraging thought, is it not? So in this article, we have a classic example of what is called reductionism. It's the idea that we can learn about something by describing its constituent parts, by dissecting and then describing its constituent parts. The age of modern science has helped us become experts at studying parts. The challenge is to answer the question of the meaning of the whole. And so this is not just related to the so-called God gene, but it represents a contemporary worldview that even Christians have been sucked up into, sort of unknowingly to us, we began to develop this secular kind of a worldview that is so different than what a kingdom worldview is. Several years ago, we had Hans Boersma with us. Hans at the time was a professor at Regent College uh, in British Columbia, and is now with Neshota House in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He was with us for Lent, excuse me, a few years ago. And in his book, Heavenly Participation, he talks about this problem that I have articulated this morning. And he talks about the damage that has been done to us by the rationalistic enlightenment that led to the secularization of our lives and the loss of the mystery of God's presence in creation. He speaks of the real damage that this does in our lives today. He says, my concern about the rational self-confidence of modernity concerns our often uncritical acceptance of contemporary culture. It seems to me that we too easily give in to the temptation of accommodation, to the latest trends and fads of the culture around us often naively and uncritically accepting the dictates of a society that is largely post-Christian. Whether it is secular criticism of our Christian past, politically correct agendas that we're messaged into accepting, or the backbone of our moral commitments, as evangelicals we look askance far too readily at counter-cultural Christianity and instead opt for accommodation To the surrounding culture. Unfortunately, what Hans says is largely true, and that means that we often unknowingly accept post-Christian cultural values instead of being the unique people that we have been called to be. I think Philip Yancey is right when he lays down the critical question of belief and unbelief, he says, is the visible world around us all there is? Scientists can dissect and graphically describe to us the what of existence, but they stutter in answering the questions of why things exist as they do. Yancey points to this In his book called Rumors of Another World. And early in the book, he offers three quick stories that suggest the limits of our scientific inquiry and suggest there's more to reality than meets the eye. Some of you may recall one or more of these stories. He said, I once heard the missionary author Elizabeth Elliott tell of accompanying the Aka woman Dayuma from her jungle home in Ecuador to New York City. As they walked the streets, Elliot explained cars, fire hydrants, sidewalks, and red lights. Dayuma's eyes took in the scene, but she said nothing. Elliot next led her to the observation platform atop the Empire State Building, where she pointed out the tiny taxicabs and people on the streets below. Again, Dayuma said nothing. Elliot could not help wondering what kind of impression modern civilization was making. Finally, Dayuma pointed to a large white spot on the concrete wall and asked, what bird did that? At last, she had found something that she could relate to. Yancey said, I visited the tip of Argentina, the region named Tierra del Fuego, the land of fire by Magellan's explorers who noticed fires burning on shore. The natives, tending the fires, however, paid no attention to the great ships as they sailed through the straits. Later, they explained that they had considered the ships an apparition. So different were they from anything seen before. They lacked the experience, even the imagination, to decode evidence passing right before their eyes. And we who built the skyscrapers in New York who build today not just galleons and space stations and Hubble telescopes that peer to the very edge of the universe, what about us? What are we missing? What do we not see for lack of imagination or faith? Sirin Kierkegaard told a parable about a rich man riding in a lighted carriage driven by a peasant who sat behind the horse in the cold and dark outside. Precisely because he sat near the artificial light inside, the rich man missed the panorama of stars outside, a view gloriously manifest to the peasant in modern times, it seems, as science casts more light on the created world, its shadows further obscure the invisible world beyond. So what is this world of which we're talking about rumors We've been spending some time in the book of Acts recently because we've been talking about our church and how our church relates to the church of God as it began in the book of Acts at Pentecost and continued forward. The very last sentence of this book that describes the history of the early church, the very last sentence says something profound about this other world. It says this, Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Preached the kingdom of God, taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the last verse of this great record of the church in Acts, but when we look at the scripture, we discovered that the key message, the fundamental message of Jesus Christ was a message about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God being good news. Matthew 4.23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. Matthew 9.35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. Mark 1.15, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. Luke four forty three, but he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Luke 8, 1, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And again, this was the message of the early church in Acts chapter 8. We realize this was the content of the church's early teaching. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, They were baptized, both men and women. In Matthew 13, we have a little fuller description of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. There was absolutely nothing. Nothing more valuable than the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom of God? Well, you know the story. You know how it begins. We've talked about it often. God existed throughout eternity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the fellowship that they had. That fellowship of love grew, and we were created to enjoy fellowship with them. But in order for that fellowship to be authentic, We couldn't be merely uh, automatons. We couldn't be robots in order to love and have that love commanded. We had to have a free will. And in order to have a genuine free will, we had to have an alternative to loving God. And as you know, the story in Genesis, which is our story, Adam and Eve chose to go the other direction as we have chosen to do that as well. And it brought death and destruction And from that time, we have lived in a world of sin and corruption and death. It's described the world in which we live as human beings. And this is the world that reductionists try to to understand by dissection of that world. But the good news of the kingdom of God is the announcement of another world. It's the vision of a father for a redeemed world. A redeemed world means taking those things that are bad and turning them for good, which is what redemption means. And it's a new creation, freed from the change, from the from the um, uh, from the chains of sin and corruption. So this new world, this kingdom of God begins with the work of Jesus Christ with his death on the cross. His kingdom has begun and we await its fulfillment in reality. So. Uh, Some refer to this as like World War II and D-Day and the invasion of Normandy, and when that successfully took place, we knew that the war was going to end, but there was a lot of hard fighting that was going to be done between D-Day and the eventual collapse of the Nazis. And so as we look at this, we see that we live in the now and the not yet. The now being this world that is still tainted by sin and destruction and corruption. But we are also living in the kingdom of God that has been introduced through Jesus Christ. And the choice is given to us as to which of those worlds we live in, the now or the not yet that we are now a part of, but looking into the future. The kingdom begins small, but it grows. In Luke 13, we read, Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Again he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. John the Revelator in the book of Revelation looks forward to the day when God's kingdom will be fully come. In Revelation 11 he writes... The kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. I love it. We have the Mosaic concert coming up in a month. And, and we do the hallelujah chorus as a part of that concert. And I just love it when we get to these words and uh, you don't want me to sing it. I noticed that when Pastor Nancy announced that the North Sound singers are looking for sopranos and altos and tenors and basses, they didn't include me because I'm a baritone, but, um, but I just love it when we get to this point where in the hallelujah course we sing the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever. God has given us an opportunity to do something with the good news of the kingdom. We can enter into it. We we have a choice where we're going to live. Are we gonna live in the kingdom of this world or are we gonna exercise the choice that God has given us to enter into the kingdom of God? In John 3... Jesus describes how we do this. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. The, ki- the choice that we make to embrace the kingdom of God changes everything about our lives. It's deeply serious to move from darkness to light. In Colossians 1.13, we read, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. So what does the kingdom of God look like? Well, according to the Lord's Prayer, Jesus asks that God's kingdom will come. And then he gives a definition of what that means, and that is a place where God's will is done so that the kingdom is that place of the rule and reign of God. And according to Romans fourteen seven, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy. Let's break that down for just a moment. Kingdom of God is a place of righteousness. It's a world lived according to the way God wants it to be lived. If you think about righteous, the first word of that is right. And living in the kingdom of God is a world that has been put to right. It's a world where God's will is done and where we live our lives aligned with the will of God. Think for a moment about the difference that God has intended for us and the current reality. God designed Adam and Eve to enjoy a sexual relationship with each other and to enter into that and for that to be a place of joy for them in the rich freedom of choosing one another and the intimacy of that lifelong relationship. Contrast that to today in our time, sex has become a God and its pursuit has resulted in wrecked marriages, families, relationships, disease, and addictions. Some think this is freedom to pursue these things, but in reality, the righteousness of God's kingdom is what brings true freedom. The kingdom of God is also a place of peace. Too many of us live conflicted lives They're conflicted from our past histories, from relationships that have gone bad, from hurt that we have received or hurt that we have given to others. God's kingdom brings peace through forgiveness of sins and the knowledge that our future is marked by hope. God redeems our past. He makes good out of bad and gives us a future. Finally, the kingdom of God is also marked by joy. This is not a giddy, happy kind of a feeling. It's not Pastor Barry banging on the table when the Huskies score a touchdown. That's excitement. That's something a pleasure lived in in the moment, but the joy that's talked about here is the deep sense of well-being. The deep sense of well-being that comes from living life according to God's will. Notice in this passage, these blessings are connected with the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to us as we enter the kingdom of God. He's spoken of as a gift. He's spoken of as something that we can be filled with and we have this gift as we engage in kingdom living. We do so with God, very God living within us through his spirit. So it's time for application as we close this morning. What does all of this mean for you and for me? Well, first of all, as individuals, we need to understand that we don't enter the kingdom of God when we die. We enter it now. We enter it right now, and it changes everything. We decide to align our will, our lives, with the will of God and we enter into true freedom for the first time when we confess our rebellion, repent of our sins, and fully embrace the kingdom. We now live lives with a long view, a long view because we know what's really important. One of the tools that I use in my own devotions is the Book of Common Prayer, and during different seasons of the year, there are different things that are suggested to be prayed for. One of the unique ones in the season that we're in, which is just before the season of Advent, is to pray for those who fear the winter months. And I found that curious. Um, And then I realized that there are many who, in fact, do fear the winter months. The the days shrinking down, the long nights, the snow or the rain, the cloudiness, the gray, it can be depressing. Uh, We call it a uh, seasonal affective disorder for some folks, but but the point is, is that it's kind of interesting that the level of intimacy of praying for those who fear the winter months. But the thing that I want to share with you is one, one sentence, one statement. It's just one statement that sort of summarizes the whole sermon and some of you are saying, well, why didn't you just say that? And We could have gone for lunch. I know. <laughs> but, but this statement um, is so precious for me and that is the request to pray for the saints on earth. The saints on earth that they may live as citizens of heaven the saints on earth, that they may live as citizens of heaven. And that's, that's today. That's this very hour. That isn't waiting till we die. It's living as citizens of heaven today. Scriptures tell us we are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then he will give us in this life what we need. We're told we're to lay up treasure in heaven because that will last for eternity. We're to live as stewards of all God has given us and live with the supernatural reality in our lives that we've moved from the old to the new, from death to life, from darkness to light, from bondage to freedom. And as we do this, we find a much deeper purpose for our lives. There's a story, I, I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, it was first given as a parable in 1927 by Bruce Barton who said it was based on a true story, but it's a story related to the work of Sir Christopher Wren who designed St. Paul's Cathedral in London. It was a terrible fire in London in 1666 that wiped out much of the city. And Christopher Wren was an architect that was tapped for the beautiful St. Paul's Cathedral, which many of you saw in recent weeks with the developments that have taken place with the queen in uh, in the United Kingdom. Christopher Wren designed this amazing structure, St. Paul's Cathedral. And uh, according to this story, while observing the construction of the cathedral, So Christopher Wren went to three bricklayers. And the first one he went to, he asked each of them the same question. He said, what are you doing? And the first bricklayer that he talked to and asked this question, he said, I'm a bricklayer and I'm providing for my family. The second one he went to with the same question responded that he was a bricklayer and he was building a wall. But the third bricklayer that he went to who ended up in a position of greater responsibility said in answer to the question, what are you doing? Said, I'm a cathedral builder. I get to play a small part in building the greatest kingdom of all, the kingdom of God. Friends, as a kingdom community, we come to realize that as individuals who have chosen to enter the kingdom, we're now here together, navigating life together. And the kingdom affects not just how we live individually, but how we do life together. We build a culture in our church that reflects the culture of the Trinity. It's a culture where humility and service and diversity and trust and love and grace and forgiveness are evident. Because we're a kingdom community, we don't just build the kingdom of North Sound Church but we, generally, we generously work with other kingdom communities, be they individuals, churches, parachurch organizations, or other partners in ministry. And friends, becoming citizens of the kingdom of God changes everything. It changes everything. Instead of living in the present we reach forward to the future, to God's vision of what we will be, and we bring those values into the present in terms of how we live our lives today. Russell Moore describes how we bring this future into the present. He says, the kingdom of God turns the Darwinist narrative of the survival of the fittest upside down. When the church honors and cares for the vulnerable among us, we're not showing charity. We're simply recognizing the way the world really works, at least in the long run. The child with Down syndrome on the fifth row from the back in your church, he's not a ministry project. He's a future king of the universe. The immigrant woman who scrubs toilets every day on hands and knees and can barely speak enough English to sing along with your praise courses, she's not a problem to be solved. She's a future queen of the cosmos, a joint heir with Christ. The first step to cultural influence is not to contextualize to the present, but to contextualize to the future. And then he reminds us that that future is awfully strange, even to us. Joel McClure nailed it, I think, when he talked about what we're talking about this morning. And he said living under the kingdom of God, a present and future reality, isn't about doing what we don't really want to do and not doing what we really want to do. I'm going to say that again. (laughs) Living under the kingdom of God, a present and future reality, isn't about doing what we don't really want to do and not doing what we really want to do. It is seeing the incomparable beauty and value of life under God and throwing ourselves headlong into it. The best thing that could happen to a person is not that they make a decision for Christ and then get hit by a bus and die. The best thing that could happen to a person is that they would in this life come to know God or rather be known by God and experience the goodness of life under his reign. And then he concludes this way. He says, you may be wondering, what does this have to do with evangelism? He says, such a life is a demonstration of the good news. If we had whole communities of people who lived according to such a vision of reality, we would hardly need an evangelism committee. Discipleship, living in the kingdom is our best evangelism. So friends, can we work together to make North Sound Church a kingdom community, a place where God's will is done, where we work hard to live under his reign and make our lives and community of faith places of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, a way to live out our life together in such a way as our greatest tool for sharing our faith with others. And this we need to do if we're going to Fulfill the vision of reaching our community with the good news of the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning for the blessing of your presence. We thank you for your word, a lamp to our feet, a light to our pathway. Lord, help us to enter fully into your kingdom and live our lives in the richness and the beauty of what you have provided for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.